Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to John Crows. John is a was a football coach at Calumet High School. Uh, he coached there for 31 years. He's also a math teacher there as well. Uh, we dive into a lot of how his coaching experience started, his playing days, uh, and how that transitioned into becoming a coach, a head coach at Calumet, and really created an awesome legacy and a, and a winning culture in that Calumet football program. Uh, so this was a really fun one. I enjoyed this. I hope you do also. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Crows, thanks for coming in today. I uh, enjoy being here and uh, looking forward to some of the stories that we could tell and Dig it, dig through the depths of my memory because it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where we can get. Um, I want to take you back to the beginning. Where did football start for you? I think football started for me uh, as a as a young kid. Uh, my dad was a football coach, and uh, just hanging around the football, taking me to football practices, taking me to weightlifting. Uh, he was also JV basketball coach, so just. I was a gym rat from about four years old on, and I uh, was always around it, enjoyed sports, and I uh, just consider myself a lifelong gym rat, I guess, more than anything. Okay. And and football became your legacy. I mean, that's a big part of what you did, but was it always football? What, did you have I don't think so. Like, I, like, if you go back and talk to the guys I grew up with, it was always baseball. Okay. Uh, I go back home and, and uh, see the guys I grew up with, and every one of them says basically the same thing in, in terms of... They weren't surprised at me being a coach because I was the one to drum up every game no matter what it was. But most of them say I expected it to be baseball. Okay. And a lot of them have said, like, I never would have played a baseball game growing up if it wasn't for you on the phone getting us together and yeah. and playing. Okay. Did you guys play organized baseball at that time? Or you're we talking played organized you... baseball. We played pickup. We played baseball every day, every day, all day. As soon as, uh, like, this time of year, the church parking lot, as soon as it became bare, we'd head down to the church parking lot and have a home run derby. If you hit the snowbank, it was a home run. And, you know, those are all games that I came up with. Anything to play a game, anything to compete, I guess. Right. Yeah. And you've had that competitive streak since a young age. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and that was more about having fun. I don't know. Like, I look back on it and it was never about the win or loss. Okay. Um, And then once you started hanging out with Buford and Wigsy and they started cheating and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I started getting a little competitive and yeah those are a couple of childhood friends of yours yeah they were you know like I started hanging out with them in middle school and they were they were from a different neighborhood and you know so you didn't see them so much but as soon as you start getting older and branching out a little bit and started hanging out with guys that I were in my class and so those were guys from like the middle of downtown and so you'd head over there and you know I tell kids nowadays I say you can't you can't throw one by me you can't you know i i always keep track of score no matter what it is because i grew up with guys that cheated yeah. and like i learned at a young age okay i'm gonna keep track of score so i don't get cheated out of this game yeah right uh so it was initially baseball did you play any other sports as well i played them all okay like I, I played baseball i played basketball i wrestled uh if there was an organized swimming for a summer i was in that uh 
and anything to be active, anything to be in a gym, anything to compete, anything to have fun. Okay. Yeah. And then eventually, did you go on to play any college sports or anything like that? Or did you, how did that go? Uh, my intent was to, like, I think at some point in, in high school, it started transitioning from baseball to foot, having that interest in football. Okay. Um, I think there was more opportunities to play football. And I think that's probably what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of high school, I went, went to West Point division one school and certainly, and realized at the time, I was, you know, I wasn't a division one athlete, but sure. You know, that, that quality education and, and a chance of if there's a division one place to play, that was probably going to be it Okay, because they, they're, they're looking for kids with division one hearts that aren't necessarily division one talents. Okay. So you went and played football at West Point? I got recruited to play, um, got tried out. Um, it was very obvious right off the bat that like that wasn't my level. Okay. But they had, uh, you know, their intramural program is phenomenal. So I stepped in, I was playing eight man contact football as freshman, freshman and sophomore there. Yeah. Um, got hurt. Like had a knee injury going into my junior year. Play, like just practicing and getting ready for that year mm-hmm. and then uh so i had to not play that year then i transferred to tech and played ball at tech for two years okay i was on the team for two years uh first game i got into i was about six plays in and hurt my knee um tried to come back that next spring and like the first day of practice i had these two bulky knee braces that i had to wear and I was like, I can't even get in a stance. So I took him off, threw him on the sidelines. And our trainer at the time was Dorothy, which is yeah. our trainer up there now. And she came and said, put those on. And I was like, no, I can't play with them on. And she said, well, you have to play either wear them or not wear them. But if you're not wearing them, you're, you're not playing. Right, right. And so that night I went home, thought about it, called the coaches the next day, and just told them I had to give it up. About two days later, my position coach at the time was Keith Willis, called me up and said, hey, there's a coaching opening in Calumet, and I think you might know the head coach, so you should apply for it because I think you'd be a good coach. Yeah. And so that's kind of how interesting. I didn't even know much about Calumet at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like even being a youper and coming up to Houghton all the time because my parents are Houghton people, um, never really knew much about Calumet, or, and but I wanted to – being football, I knew Scott Body at the time, um, and so I jumped jumped in and said, "Yeah, I'll apply for it." And then I got the job, and so that fall, next fall, I started coaching, which would have been the fall of '91. Okay, um, and I should take it back a little bit. A lot of what I want to talk about is the coaching side, but what about the your playing in high school? How did that transition happen from where baseball no longer is number one and football is? Um, I think what well, <laughs> baseball. I was still playing a lot of baseball at the time, but, it, you know, I think it was, I look back on it and it became more of a recreation and just enjoyment. Um, I guess I'm playing on three different teams and playing upwards of about 70 to 80 games a summer. And, yeah. Um, but football was more like there was more intensity to it. It was, uh, I'd, I've been around some of the tech in Northern camps and, I just felt like that was something that interested me. And I guess I don't really remember so much. I just think dad was a coach and Mm -hmm. like I was going out on scouting trips with him at a young age and um, just hanging with guys that he coached against, coached with old players and just saw like the enjoyment and how much fun and 
the competitive spirit of football, and uh, I think that's what really got me. Okay, where was your dad a coach? He was a coach in Ishpeming. Okay, and that's where you graduated from, right? Was yeah. Ishpeming, yeah. Um, and then you played that one game at Tech, but you got to the point where you now were the head coach at Calumet. Or the first years, were you the head coach, or you said you no, were? No, I was. Uh, Scott Body was the head coach when I first got hired. Okay, and uh, he was head coach for nine years, and then. He and his family moved to Iron Mountain, and I took over the reins in 2000. Okay. Um, and those first years at Calumet, you were a math teacher at that time? Well, I, I finished up tech. So I, I coached two years while I was finishing up my degree at tech. Okay. Because at that time, I was an electrical engineer, yep. uh, senior, getting pretty close to graduating. Um, pretty much grew up in a family of educators and saying, I am not going to be a teacher. I'll mm -hmm. never be a teacher. And then when I coached one season, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> you know, and I, like I grew up in, in the 70s in a teacher family and just my, my dad was teaching at the time. And can we do this? No, we don't have the money to do it. You know, and so yeah. I was just like, I'm not going to be a teacher because I want I don't want to have that excuse of not having the money to do things. And then didn't realize quality of life and enjoying what you do is more important than that. And mm -hmm. And things, things have changed with education too, especially like right as I started coming in and the funding became, it's it's a honorable profession and, and we're starting to get paid what, what we should be getting paid and taken yeah. care of, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, if you don't mind, at some point, I want to get into the t some of your teacher experience as well, but again, we'll sure. focus on the, on the football side of things for yeah. now. Um, what were those first years as a coach like? Was that, how, yeah, how was that? Uh, it was it was it was awesome. It was like I look back on it and just kind of chuckle and go like we were so clueless on the whole coaching thing, the strategy thing. Um, we just like like working with kids, enjoyed trying to be competitive and teach them how to how to win a football game. You know, and we had so many things to teach. We had to build a culture. Uh, when we took like Scott took over in ninety, I started in ninety one with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Calumet football won 15 games in the 80s. Unreal. And so the guys I lived with at Tech were all from Calumet, and they talked about going three years without winning a game. And I, I just look at those guys and go, how did you not win a game? Look at you guys, you know. And, right. and so it really was a culture thing. And uh, we didn't know what culture was at the time. We just knew that we had to get kids out. We wanted to have fun playing the game of football. And if we could get kids having fun, then we were going to start winning. And... I don't think we were looking at state championships or anything. We just want to be competitive and mm -hmm. and teach the game of football and have fun. Right. And you really, I mean, you flash forward to today, you created an awesome culture, but that wasn't initially necessarily a, a, like this grand picture thing that you were looking into. Eh? Yeah. Who uh, knew at that time I was going to be teaching in Calumet and retiring and spending 31 years coaching football there. Uh, yeah. Like we were just living the moment and, um, we were cocky. We were young. We were brash. Yeah. We appealed to kids. Kids were like kids. There was athletes in school that weren't playing football. Next thing you know, they're on the fence line watching football practice and kind of wondering if they wanted to be part of it. And yeah. And eventually, you know, it really promoted uh, through. You know, if you want to be good in everything, be a three-sport athlete. Mm -hmm. We started getting all the athletes out for football, and I think it was about ninety-seven. We had 107 kids in the program from 9 through 12. Yeah, unreal. And, just, and it just started because we had fun, had fun playing, and 
we know how to compete. Like we knew how to compete, and we're, so we tried to teach kids how to compete, and we won football games. Mm-hmm. And the more we won, the more kids flocked to us. Yeah. By the time I was there, graduated twenty twelve, it was uh, a a thing. I mean, you wanted to be a football player. You know what I mean? Uh, you looked up to the kids before you that were football players. You looked at to forward to the point where you could be there the culture was there so it attracted everybody that wanted to be involved in that kind of a thing but it, of course wasn't always that way you were in the 80s where you won 15 games those initial years did that transition pretty quickly or did it take a while to get to the point where that was happening i don't think i don't think it was a culture at that point yet but it it, it was the start of it okay because you know because all these guys that we started having fun and enjoying it and and they go home and talk about it all the time. And then their little brothers and cousins and nephews, and they would hear that. And um, then they would start dreaming about when they when they played. And so eventually it just kept passing on and passing on. And, you know, and early on you talk about there, there weren't any Keweenaw kids out for football. There wasn't anyone from Trap Rock Valley out for football. And right. next thing you know, you, you tap into some of the Keweenaw boys and get them out. And all of a sudden they start bringing all their buddies. And yeah. Um, you know, and I think uh, there was one year where all of a sudden every every boy in high school from Trap Rock Valley showed yeah. up, <laughs> showed up the equipment issue. We we're like, holy cow, we gotta be doing something right here. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so, how many years you said that before you took over? Before Scott Body took uh, off? He was head coach for nine years for my first nine years. Okay, and then that's when you took over as head coach. Yeah, was that exciting? Um, no, because I didn't. I wasn't looking to be the head coach at that point. You okay. know, I thought we had a good thing going. Scott was the head coach, and um, I was a great head coach, great leader, and and I was great behind the scenes. And you know, I was, I was the coach that was always screwing around behind the scenes and messing mm-hmm. around with the kids and mopping up the messes and keeping kids interested. And yeah, you know, and I was coaching three sports at the time too, and doing the weight room and yeah. So I was building all those relationships, and and I and I liked that role. And then all of a sudden, I had to be the head honcho, and, and I wasn't too sure. And because part part of why I I coached and stayed coaching is all the friendships. Yeah, guys you coach, guys you coach with, guys you coach against too. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I wouldn't have realized it at the time when you're a, when you're playing in high school sports that you're super competitive. The guy, the other coach, and the other players, you 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 have a, a fight against them. But as a coach, you probably. You have that, but you also can respect and have a friendship with an opposing coach, right? Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, and uh, I think there's there's a lot of mutual respect, and there's guys that you don't respect, and yeah. you, you kind of like, all right, I'm grind a little harder against them. And mm-hmm. but I think overall, and and it's still about how you compete, and like you need to be able to compete and walk away and be able to take a loss. And I think that's like I reflect back all the time ago. I, I learned that as a kid because I played sports every day all year long, and I didn't care if I won or lost. I, yeah. I tried hard to win, but I also learned like losing wasn't a bad thing. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> let's dive back into that. You said you weren't looking to be the head coach. That wasn't something you were searching out. It seems like that might be out of the norm. It seems like a lot of head coaches might have been searching for that role. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I guess uh can't comment on anyone else. Like, I don't. I certainly wasn't looking at that at the time. Um, I wasn't going to shy away from it. I, it was time for me to, someone needed to step up and keep going with what we were doing. And, yeah. you know, we're starting to hit the playoffs every year and mm-hmm. um, win the Westpac championships year in and year out. And yeah, 
just had to keep going with that. And uh, Mike Ogilo was with us. George Torjic was with us. And, and uh, you know, so I was still coaching with my buddies. And mm-hmm. No, I say that as a cool thing, meaning you weren't necessarily seeking it out, but it ended up being a, obviously a rewarding thing. Yeah, right? and I, the, yeah. Fir- the first year is tough because I was uh, like for – like Scotty left like two weeks before the season started, so I wasn't like mentally prepped to step into that role, and mm-hmm. just kind of had to step in and wasn't wasn't sure what I wanted to do or you know what kind of demeanor and and that kind of developed over course of a few years. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you have a lot of big learn? I mean, of course, you learned through the whole course, right? But those initial moments as a head coach, did you have to shift internally? And did you have any big learning moments that you uh, had? You know, like uh, well, so many of them, so many of them, uh, most of them probably can't even come up with. But uh, yeah. you know, I think uh, early on, early on, you would sit and try to be competitive with teams. You'd look and go, okay, I have these athletes. I need these athletes. Okay, how can I fit a program to these athletes to? be as good as we can be and then there's that point in time where you just go you know what i I need this is what we're gonna do Mm -hmm. offensively they were gonna do this defensively we're gonna do this and we're gonna make our team our personnel fit what we do sure and so now you're teaching the same thing every year and you're learning how to take that defensive system and defend the spread offense you know how to spread defend the the T offense. And so you're not reinventing that whole thing every year just for personnel. And I think that was a, that was a big jump for us because we went from trying to match personnel to a defense. And then you come up with a good team in playoffs and they would just pick you apart because you didn't have all the answers. Sure. But then when it's your system and this is what we're going to do, win, lose or draw. And then you start teaching that year in and year out and from seventh grade on up, um, it's amazing how much easier it is to teach yeah. as years go on and how much people buy into it and you get kids to buy into it. Right, right. I was going to ask you that. When we were playing, it was a lot of, uh, we're just going to come straight at you. You know what you're going to get. We're going to get three, four yards at a time. We'll pick our chances outside of that. And that that was more, uh, what, what I was curious about is that you looking at your team and saying this is what we have or is that something that was spanned over the course of many many years i guess i didn't know the answer to that but you kind of just touched um, I would to that. say probably about that time was when things started changing a little bit okay and and i remember going to a clinic with george probably about mid 2000 like probably about 05 06 and right before emmett became our quarterback and mm-hmm. just um going to this guy in green bay he is from pennsylvania still remember richard Pennypacker and hmm. Same same size school as us. A lot of lot of success, and that was his message: was get a system, stay with the system. And his system was option football and offense, and uh, like a five front defense. Right. And so I just sat there and listened to him three for three straight sessions, and went, "Wow, this is what this is like." What I want to do to hmm. another level, mm-hmm. and so we modeled a lot of what we did from there on from his stuff. Yeah. Was that pretty successful? I mean, you could see oh, yeah. that very, very successful. And just, like I say, it was it was easy to buy in because you're doing the same thing every year, not not readjusting and and changing. We like I was the defense coordinator, so I would change defenses every year based on personnel. Sure, and it was fine. Like I say, when you when you finally got to a good team with a good offensive set and a good offensive mind, they knew how to pick you apart because you didn't have all the answers. Yeah. 
Right. <clears throat> One of the questions I wanted to ask you at some point, and we can dive into it now, is um, when you're playing football and George Torzik was part of the coaching staff, right? He'd give his pregame speech. He'd turn his hat on backwards and he'd go in there and give you a speech. Was that something that he developed over the years? Was that there since day one? Or how did he get into giving that speech like he used to give? Um, that's that's George's passion coming through. Um, and he loved doing it. Like it was kids loved hearing it and because it was, gen, you know, like it was genuine. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was from the heart every time he did it, you know. And so kids, it was easy for kids to feed off of that energy. Yeah. Whereas that that's not normally me, and I would try it. I would try and do that early on in my career, and then I just went, no, this is this is not me. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have like you have to do what you have to do to get ready to play this game. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, we had expectations and. and I look back in our last 10 years and can pretty much honestly say we never had a down game. Yeah. Like there was never a game where you get done with and go, oh, we weren't ready to play that game. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the big reason why is, and but, you know, I, the pregame speech is cool. It's nice if it's a good one, but I don't think it's necessary either. Yeah. No, not necessary. I mean, you did all the prep in that week of practice working towards that game or whatever else but as a player it was a pretty powerful thing oh yeah Uh, for sure you know and and sometimes it can be detrimental too like like you get too excited and next thing you know you're forgetting what you need to do and run it by the ball and (laughs) next thing you know that team returns that first kickoff you're going geez op what the heck just happened there yeah but uh george george uh had some great ones over the years yeah yeah, it's hard to describe unless you've been in one of them, but it's – and I don't yeah, remember where you know, yeah. If you've been in a pregame speech, you know, but, uh, sure. yeah, like George, boy, you could just cut the intensity. But he would sit and it would be about a 45-minute, like, zen session for a meditation session to get himself into that mindset to, yeah. to do it right. And then when he became administrator, he had to leave coaching – but we would still pull him in now and then for for big speeches and stuff, and mm-hmm. just because the kids wanted it, and yeah, the other coach we just sit there and just like, okay, what's he gonna say this yeah. time? <laughs> yeah, but that is a I think that is a good lesson there that you just said is you try to be that what you're not naturally, and it doesn't work. Like you yeah. just need to be you, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and really the message we got and. Like we have, we have standards we have to uphold to, and like this is the Copper King family, and you're you're not just representing yourself; you're representing everyone in this room, mm-hmm. and then you're representing your brothers, your cousins, your nephews, your uncles, and everyone that's played and had this jersey on beforehand, and and you owe it to them to lay everything on the line, and we and we always had te- big expectations as a team, and talk about you can't. Ju- Every Friday, you have to be ready, and and we would gear up all week long for Friday. Right, and so for me, that thirty second pregame speech, sixty second pregame speech, it's important mm-hmm. to remind what our goals are and what we need to do to win. But to get that excited level, kids should be be there themselves and take care of that themselves. For sure, yeah. No, my my only exposure to. Uh, 
high school football is, of course, through Calumet. Um, but I can say firsthand that you had a very high expectation of yourself as a team. Uh, almost like uh, you call it Copper King pride, whatever it was, like a, a lot of history that you as a coach put on us, as a player, you put it on yourself. And that certainly can happen anywhere, but it doesn't feel like that happens by accident. You know what I mean? You played no, teams where you... Like, in hindsight, it was a culture, even though at the time I don't think I knew what, like, just be around long education long enough and all of a sudden you understand what culture is and yeah. how, how important it is to build culture. And, and and the culture is about your expectation of what what do we do, what do we stand for, what are the rules that we live by. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think it was probably just after you left where I started understanding culture and started i had started calling it the calumet football family Mm -hmm. because we're all it's a family we're all in this together and and i really modeled the family off of the families of our community yeah like yeah i'd be around at family dinners and just see what goes on or at team dinners at at families houses and just see how things are run and Mm -hmm. just being around calumet long enough and knowing the knowing the kids and having brothers come through and Mm -hmm. and like Emmett Bajorn and would talk about his younger brothers, and I could just picture him out with those guys up against the barn wall, rifling footballs at them, and right. as young kids, and just you're gonna be a football player, yeah. catch this ball, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on, try and tackle me, right? Yeah, I always used to beat up Jack, and every time I beat him up, I tell him I'm getting you ready for football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you must have, because Jack was a heck of a ball player too. Yeah, yeah, but, nope. I, but that, but that part of you know, like young kids see their brothers and cousins playing and and they want to emulate that and when it's their opportunity it's like the greatest thing in the world and and i talk to parents all the time and your moms and they just talk about how every time around the dinner table and holiday when everyone's around it always turns to football and all their memories and Mm -hmm. like eventually like there's still memories from their other sports but it just seems like football tends to dominate the conversation yeah, how much fun they had, and and I think it's because of the culture that we had there. Yeah, and you said it happened after I left, but I think it was there long before I was I think, there. I think it yeah. was, but I finally had a focal focal point for it. Okay, like it was always like like when you're competitive, it's every year you want to be better, and like how do you how do you beat Nagani? How do you beat Kingsford? How do you beat Menominee? Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started coaching, like those guys were going to state championships, and I just was like. How do you emulate that? How do we get to that level? And we got a lot of work to do. And so it became first off just beating the Westpac schools and then starting to challenge yourselves with playing Gladstone and Marquette and Irspeming. Now we started putting Nagani on the schedule and mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and and through the years you've seen that change, right? Where you start beating some of these teams that previously would have felt unattainable, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like like we went many years without beating Nagani and then uh, like the first time we beat them was down in their place and uh six nothing playoff victory and like that's just one of the most memorable games ever and I still remember the stands being half full of Calumet people and having the big Calumet flags waving and Mm -hmm. and since then I would say we've probably had our way with like they get a win here and there but we've kind of had our way with Nagani yeah right But, but we had to learn to get to that level Mm-hmm. learn how to compete at that level and learn how to win consistently yeah and part of it is expectation part of it is matching matching their off-season program but 
You know, and I feel like we we give kids the opportunity to have as much time lifting and doing things in the off season, but their desire to do it is what's important. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give any kid the opportunity, but they're going to be as good as they want to be, and and eventually kids start buying in and doing everything they could to prep, be a three-sport athlete, work, work a full-time job. And most of our kids work some pretty brutal full-time jobs. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, they go and try in and do something in the summer and in the, in the off season to get better as an athlete. Yeah. And you could, a person could dramatize whatever they went through, but in my head, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. It feels like the players that came through Calumet typically had a, a higher level of fight you know what i mean oh there's tough yeah the toughness the grit um and part of that is because I, like one of my favorite things to do uh, on that first week of football is sit on my tailgate at the like i'd park right in the middle of the gate where you guys would walk out of the locker room right and i'd sit on the tailgate of the truck and go hey going swimming and uh, like one year it was uh, probably one of your years too uh, first one out no, you got work boots on, dirty yeah. jeans, and a flannel, and it's 85 after like a five-hour practice. I'm going, you going swimming? No, I got to go to work. Yeah. Work, what are you doing? Oh, I got to go split wood. Yeah. Oh, good luck. <laughs> Next one come out, who's a cousin of that kid? I go, you going split wood? No, I got to go work in the pit. Yeah. What's the pit? Well, my uncle owns a gravel pit. I got to go shovel gravel. Yeah, you know, and so it would just be one story after the other. Split wood, got to go make hay, got to go and cut grass, and you know most other kids around the UP and around the around the country playing football are going to the beach and going home to take naps and relax, and not our kids are going out to work another eight hours. Yeah, so you felt like that was unique, huh? Hey? Oh yeah, that yeah. was unique and. I remember one time I was at a work in a football camp and Tom Wender was a legendary football coach at Iron Mountain and we were talking about off-season lifting and I, I said, you know, I said, I have a tough time getting our kids to buy in year-round on the weightlifting and it's not that they don't buy in, but they're, they're workers. They work, you know, in the summer, some of them are working 60, 70 hours a week and he went, doing what? Mm-hmm. And so I told him, he was like, then don't care about it. The, right. the, those kids are tougher than anyone else. Let them do that. Right. And if you can get a little bit of weightlifting out of them, more power to them. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were coaching, did you, like, was was game day a big deal? Like, did you really get excited for it and, and nervous for it and whatever else? Or how did you manage um, the... Yeah. Oh, I loved game day. I loved the prep for game day. Like, for me, I guess if they're, like, if you look back on it, I love the prep. I love the like game planning and strategizing and the like the chess match and and having the ability to like in a game to adjust what you're see what someone else is doing and going, all right, okay, let's adjust and mm-hmm. and that's that's part of having we talked about earlier about having a program, right? So so when you have an offensive program and a defensive program that you use every year, you know how to tweak those. When, when you're doing something different every year and all of a sudden you come out on Friday night and go, oh, wow, they're not doing what we practice all week, all of a sudden it's not so easy to tweak what you're doing and teams teams can give you a fits by doing that. And so we were always able to, as time went on, be able to tweak what we are doing and, and adjust and adjust on the fly easier. And and uh, so 
you know, just little lessons you learn as as you're going through your coach and how do you get better is really what it, what it comes down to. Yeah. I asked, I asked Kevin Luke the same or a similar question of as a coach, did you stay within yourself or did you get pretty uh, passionate and uh, oh, yeah. you, know you mean? lose uh, your mind? Do you lose your mind? I saw I, like me and Luke are from the same hometown. In fact, uh, I used to always tell, tell him, I don't know if he remembers this, but his, his first coaching gig ever was eighth grade basketball coach at champion high school yeah. or at champion middle school. And the first game he ever coached was against my was against me in eighth grade, and we yeah. beat him. Yeah. So I always say, hey, first first coaching gig was a loss there, Luker. Yeah, but what a great coach he is and was, and yeah, more importantly, great person. Yeah, but you would you would get pretty passionate at times. I, I, oh yeah, well, you get emotional, yeah. you know, and, and uh, yeah, no, you could be emotional. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong with being emotional as long as you're in control of them. But right. like, there's times you lose it lose your emotions and yeah i think it was about i forget what year it was i was probably like poly senior year when we had a, i forget i don't know if that was the year or not but i had a complete meltdown in nagani and yeah i was turned around i was on the track yelling back at the fans and yeah like i look back at that as like the one time i tr- truly lost it and mm-hmm. like even george came and tried to come on crows get back in the game i nope can't do it right <laughs> you might as well not even try yeah but uh like uh, that was a big learning moment for me and a big moment of like self-reflection and going all right don't ever get to that point because because mm-hmm. as soon as you lo- lose your emotions you're not winning that football game yeah or that game or or even in life you lose your emotions you tend to lose whatever situation you're in for sure but the fact that it happened once over how many years i think i i told it with kevin luke i'd rather flirt with that line of going too far and being passionate about what you're doing versus the other end and having nothing there you know yeah and one of the lessons i learned from my dad too is as kids feed off your energy yeah and so so you need to like you need to show that fight and that desire and and energy and emotion as long as it's good emotion because it's so because kids will feed off of that bad emotion too. Sure. Yeah. So the the demeanor or the mo- emotion that you bring to a game will directly impact how they're yeah. handling themselves, eh? Yeah. And 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 sometimes I wouldn't say it's fake, but it's it's like like holy cow, we need to get get after it here, you know. And so I'm going to be out in front, being the not necessarily cheerleader, but showing the fight and sure. showing the energy and and the, what what needs to be and. Mm-hmm. The demeanor at which you need to go after this with right part of your role as a coach right yeah, yeah. and that wasn't always started like friday night either that was like usually early in the week like this is our demeanor for the week this is what we have to do and that's we'll spend the week trying to build up that so it was at a fever pitch on a friday yeah yeah i could feel that like if you had a certain demeanor going into a game you would feel that at practice on monday and you could almost tell it was or I could feel that was intentional. Yeah, and it was yeah. Holton beatdown week. Like it, right. you could certainly tell there was yeah. something different going on that week, right? Right. Right. <laughs> we always had a little special, special thing going for that week. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> There's got to be a lot of fun moments, though, right? I mean, how can you pick any? Uh, yeah, but do you yeah, have any really like, cool through the year milestones, or, uh, or mo- I mean, how do you pick out of a, a career that? Like long? I think, like when I try and do it, like now that I have retired and stepping away from coaching i'm trying to look back on like some of those moments and i I, 
I'm sure there's big ones out there, like in terms of uh, like intangibles, but mm-hmm. you always kind of reflect back to big wins. Yeah. Like the big win again in Nagani, 6 nothing in the playoffs was huge. Um, going down to Iron Mountain in the playoffs, when first time coaching against Scott Body and and beating Iron Mountain mm-hmm. in, a, in a hard-fought game, that, that was huge. Um, like uh, 1993, beating Hancock with uh, two touchdowns in the last minute and hmm. the last touchdown being a Hail Mary off of some kid's helmet. Yeah. And, like the, those are things that you kind of reflect that at least right now I'm reflecting back on are some of those. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> what about I'm picturing too, and, and of course you got so many years in it that it can be hard to pick one, but it feels like there's a element where sports and football teaches you a lot of lessons, a lot of discipline, and you could see in a, a kid that potentially doesn't have that. Yeah. Part, I get, you know what I'm, I'm saying? You know what? to get that. Like I got a lot of people reached out in the last since it's since it announced that I was retiring and um just thanks for all the lessons and thanks for all the concern and I'm a better person now because of what you taught me in football and right and I look back and go oh, what did I really teach them you know but yeah. I, but I think it was just I gave them more an opportunity to have fun and be part of something big and uh something to be proud of and mm-hmm. something that they're proud of and and they've I think probably what they look back on is they worked hard at something and had success and learned how to, if you want to have success, it takes, takes hard work. And I think, uh, Pete Morella was the one to kind of say that is, is in his reflection a few years ago about how, you know, Crozy taught us how to set a goal and, and strive for that goal. And, and if you work hard enough, you'll accomplish that goal. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are some of the things that I look back on and, and just having fun playing sports and competing hard. And yeah, no, there's a, I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, I, I really enjoyed sports growing up, but afterwards you realize there's a lot of lessons that are learned there. But part of what I'm thinking about is I think it's a, a cool thing. And I never had this, but if you got a kid, for example, that's, um, struggling with the sport not from a a, maybe from a a discipline or or they're you know thinking about quitting or whatever else they're frustrated and they stay and overcome and achieve and then they have some awesome moment where they fulfill what they were looking for and it it just feels like it's a powerful thing i don't quite know what i'm trying to say but you know what i mean Uh, well it's 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 a confidence you know like a lot of times kids are afraid to leave their comfort zone and never have any challenge you know and that's my challenge as a coach is you could be better than you're being, but you have to be able to leave your comfort zone. And, yeah. and, and that might not be the words you're doing, but you're trying to get a kid to lay it out there and, mm-hmm. and not, not be afraid. Right. Like you, yeah, you might, you might fail. You know, yeah. like, I think that's a lot of it is kids, kids are afraid to fail and have never failed and don't know what it's like and don't know how to deal with it. And, and so I, Go ahead. Let's let's fail. Like let's do it. Mm-hmm. If you fail, I'll be there and I'll pick you up and we'll do better next time. Right. And so to me, those are life lessons. Like there's a okay. You might fall down. Get back up and keep going. Yeah, for sure. And we do that every day in practice, right? And anytime yeah. you hit the ground, get your butt back up. Right. You might make the play. Mm-hmm. For sure. But I mean, I'd imagine you have to look back at your career and say the the football coaching part of it has been super rewarding, right? Oh, it, it, 
all rewarding. Love the football because I just like I committed 31 years to the to it. Um, and when I think about it, I've been on a football field. So what am I, 53 as I retire here and probably started hanging out on football fields at about four or five years old. So yeah, that's about fi- almost 50 years on a football field. Yeah. Was it hard to walk away? Um, we'll find out next year. Sure. I don't think it was. It, it wasn't this year. I almost like last summer was like having a tough time going into the year just because I know how much time and energy and I didn't know if I had it in me. And I had some friends sit down and say, you need to do one more year mm-hmm. so you know it's your last year. Um, and I decided to stick with it. And I look at it now and see all these young guys, like you got Josh and Frank and Tyler sitting in the wings and ready mm-hmm. to take over. And and I don't want to – I don't have the desire to do the off season anymore and get the quarterbacks in the – throwing on in the spring and Tuesday and Thursday mornings and mm-hmm. then in the summer going in in the evenings and getting throwings and weight room sessions and you know and so it's a young man's sport and I feel happy where I'm at and I'm very happy handing the reins over to these guys because they've been part they played in the program they're coached in the program and they know what the Copper King football family is all about because they've been in it themselves. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, it's got to be cool to pass on the reins, right, and say, guys, take your turn. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it, and I think next year when it's time, I'll, I'll sit there and watch with a lot of pride at, as what they do because mm-hmm. it'll just be an extension of what we've been doing the last 31 years. It'll just be their little twist on it now. Mm-hmm. For sure. One of the stories I told to somebody the other day uh, and I, I have two little kids now and I'm thinking about just kid development and stuff like that is, um, I, I remember, and maybe this is something you did many times. I don't know, but, uh, one of our players did something they shouldn't have done personal foul in a game or whatever it was. And the next day in practice or Monday in practice, whatever it was, you guys had that player stand on the line, blow the whistle. And I make the rest of the team run. Was that something you did frequently? If you had a player um, step out of line, that wasn't the only time we did it, but we didn't do it every time, but okay. it, like it. At some point, you have to make kids realize that their their decisions, their emotions, and their actions affect others. Mm-hmm. And I forget who it was, and doesn't matter who it was, no, but I'm okay. sure that's what we were doing is just trying to bring home the effect that hey, what you did cost everyone in here, not just yourself. Right. Right. No. Again, at the time, you don't realize it, but that's a powerful lesson. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy blowing that whistle and watching your buddies run when you're the one that made the mistake that is creating the running situation. Yeah, right. It's one thing to be one of the runners. You can just blend in. You're one of the 35 guys. Yeah. But another thing to stand in front of them and blow the whistle and make and them And then go. watch them and then not do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very, very humbling experience. Yeah. So I just got brought up two weeks ago. So I was thinking about that, of what the uh-huh. mindset what that was. Yeah, we, that's the one thing I hear all the time is, uh, like, you always hear about those moments. Like, uh, Nate Sturrows talks about the one day we did 31 Chuckies in practice. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think it was 31. And he'll go, ah, so-and-so. Yeah. And then another group will go, yeah, well, we did 1900s that one day. We did 120 up-downs. I'm like, yeah, all right, these stories are getting a little yeah. uh, there's no way we did 120 <laughs> up down. No, they arguing, but yeah. 
it, but part of the part of those we you don't see we haven't had to do that lately but part of it is the expectation like that sure that, like we established with those different sessions what our expectations are and learned and there's times where you still have to go back and and have those conversations and mm-hmm. but all of a sudden you're not killing them with the running anymore or disciplining what like that because you don't need to right right <clears throat> so a lot of cool moments though through the years hey like you said how can you pick from any of them um and super rewarding for sure oh for but, sure like uh think about where when we when we first started our locker room situation was unbelievably horrible yeah um then we expanded into the, the situation where we had the two locker rooms attached which wasn't even close to like uh, when, when I first started, the JV team had like this little closet at the end of a garage with no heat mm-hmm. and maybe one light bulb in the middle of it and maybe a nail in the wall for to hang their stuff. Yeah. And then you look at the multi-million dollar complex we have now and turf field and the field house and rubberized track. And like the first year we had on that, we, we had... Uh, what was it eight home games, three playoff games, won the beat Menominee in the district title there, mm-hmm. and then had a quarterfinal game at or a regional final game there, and uh, just had an awesome game. Just threw an interception in the end zone, sure, and and end up losing by point or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, but it's come a long way from that. Uh, yeah, those it's first amazing, years, amazing where where we're at, and like I. I look back and just go, wow, it's, it's amazing where that program is compared to where it was. And and sitting there as a young coach and going, boy, I, I just want to be able to compete, love to be in, be able to compete in a state championship and build a team that can do that. And mm-hmm. and to think about three in the last five years, we were in state quarterfinals and losing close games and games that we could had opportunities to win. And if we do, then we're one game away from playing in Ford Field and yeah and just to see where we're at now with uh like team teams talk about us first uh, when they start talking about power power teams in the UP and and statewide now like I'm on the coaches state coaches um board of directors for the association and uh you go down there and you guys talk about like when you and everyone should be proud of this from Calumet. And they go, you, you sit, you sit and watch the national anthem, and you look across the field, and you go look at all these, these kids that are small and scrawny, and go, how the heck are these guys here? And then, at the end of the game, you're like, how the heck did we get beat by these guys? Or, <laughs> or how the heck did, the, boy, we sure got lucky to beat these guys, you know? And, yeah. and you shake hands with them, and there's blood coming down their nose and off their forehead, and. And they just talk about the like the toughest, grittiest group of people, kids that they've ever seen play. Yeah. And so, so those are those are proud moments for me because I, like, when I reflect back, that's what I was. I wasn't like God given talent. I was just gritty and worked hard and played hard every play. Yeah. You know, and that still holds true today. I mean, you can see some of these uh, t- awesome Calumet teams that will beat these guys, big athletic guys, and they're 
160 pound lineman against this 220 pound lineman yeah. or whatever you know i mean you're like we've yeah. gone we've beaten gladstone teams and compete against gladstone teams and you're going to go and shake hands with them afterwards and you're looking up going <laughs> oh, the heck? holy crap how do we just beat these guys you know and they beat them by three touchdowns yeah yeah there's a lot of what i'm interested in again i've had 10 years to reflect on football or life or sports whatever else is looking back is realizing you had a special thing there you knew it at the time, but you don't realize till you're gone that yeah. you, you learned you were part of this really special organization. You learned a lot of cool things, and you got to experience a, what I'd say is a pretty unique position. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that, and uh, and that I guess that's my goal is just to give everyone a, a special moment. and And I think uh, Matt Ojala said said it best. Like uh, we were talking about something else, and. This was right after our last football game, and I was helping him with something else, and he came back, and he just said, hey, uh, congratulations on retiring, and I just want to thank you for making Calumet football something special for all of us that have been in it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was that's my goal is just, like, Copper King football needs to be something special, and and it is, and I hopefully that it just continues on. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know Josh and Frank and – and Tyler, they they feel that way, and I know they're gonna push that same attitude, and they're gonna do great, and hopefully those guys can take us to the promised land. Yeah, and that was gonna be my next thing. I I know you're not you're looking internally; it's not about you. But if they do get to that point, from my position, I'm saying you're the one that gave them the launching pad to do that. You know, I would yeah, I would I would hope that it you know that reflect back and that's 31 years been in the making and yeah. and and they're just going to continue the success and and it's not just me it's like there's so many people's blood sweat and tears into this whole thing mm-hmm. I think all the players that have worn the Copper Kings jerseys and have have made this established and and part of it is they bought into it mm-hmm. um they felt ownership um think all the coaches that that have been part of this and just put everything like when they're part of part of the coaching staff and just how much they put into their entire life of their entire life mm-hmm. in those seasons into that and oh, think about what Oge and George and uh who else who else oh, there's just so many you yeah. know like you look back at our JV coaches and right you know like pa- Parksy Parksy's been in the program since the first time I walked into the weight room, Steve Parks was like eighth grade or eighth grader lifting in there. Hmm. And he's been in that program ever since. Right. Right. Still there coaching eighth grade for us, you know? And so, so guys like him are, are big parts of that. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a collective thing, yeah. but obviously it's cool. I, I mean, I, I'd picture being in your shoes and just saying, or, or I'm just trying to tell you, and obviously you know this, I'm sure you had a lot of people tell you, it's just neat to, see that legacy created and you don't realize at the time that you were a part of something like that yeah and i don't think it, when you're a young coach and even up until the end it was never about the legacy but yeah you know and then when it's time and you start reflecting back and you go holy cow you know it's did a lot of cool things and and more than anything i think it was just this uh this toughness and this grit and and I guess in hindsight, I, I, I feel like I modeled it off of myself. Like I was the gritty grinder and mm-hmm. like I wasn't going to win win games just because I had talent. I, I, I won games because I had to grind it out and compete hard and right. outwork the other person in the offseason. And 
Yeah. <laughs> and so th- those are some of the lessons that I just tried to incorporate and instill and and uh, also le- letting the kids buy some ownership into, uh, into what we do. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had, you had started or you had said that when you got into coaching when you were younger, you said you didn't want to be a teacher. Um, reflecting back on that, what ended up working out well? Oh, yeah. And I uh, love teaching and love being in the classroom and uh, it's a challenge. Um, Scott Body's dad was a teacher. My dad was a teacher. And I remember like very early on before I started being a teacher, Fred looked at me and said, you can never like one of the things you'll learn, you can coach all you want, but you can never be a good teacher and a good coach on the same day. Hmm. And uh, and every day of my career, I've, I fought hard to like prove him wrong. Sure. Yeah. Well, he is. He was right. You know, like in because that one day you you're a great coach. You're a great coach because you took some time away from your classroom. Sure. Yeah. And so you might be some. You might still get the job done in the classroom, but you're not as good. And then that, then two days later, you're like, okay, I got to put everything I have into my classroom. And then you're going into practice, and you just lost a little bit of prep time there. You know. And so you're trying to find that balance, but like it's in a tremendous amount of balance. And and he was right. And but I like I say, I challenge myself every day to prove him wrong. And I feel like I did in a lot of days, but yeah. But certainly knew what the heck he was talking about. Yeah, right. No, as a kid, I didn't feel that. I mean, I had you as a teacher and a coach. I didn't. I didn't feel like there was a a, a drop in either side. But maybe just internally, you're harder well, on yourself. Yeah, than, internally, like. Yeah. A, I can fake it pretty good. Yeah, right. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I call it the Jedi mind trick. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least you believe. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> any any other things you'd want to cover from a football aspect? Uh, and again, you could you, you could mention a lot of people that you could oh, think man, through the years, so, all that so, kind of stuff. Like I, I just think my passion for football came from just hanging with dad. Um, like you grew up, you. We, when you played football, we had huddle, right? Yeah, right. And so you could watch film, like tape exchange online, um, watch the other team. Like you, we go into games and know everything that the other team did. Right. When when I was growing up, there was no videotape in a game. Like if you want to know what a team did, you went and scouted them or sent someone to it. And mm-hmm. So when Ishpeming would play on Friday, we would go and watch Saturday games. If we played on Saturday, we'd go and watch Friday games and. You'd be in the stands with coach, coaching legends all over the UP, and like I didn't know it at the time, but as I look back on it and go, "Holy cow!" You know, I'm sitting up in the stands with with uh, Mike Bolesky, Dick Koski, um, Metlock from Crystal Falls, and just hearing all the stories and being part of it. And of course, they always, you know, and like young kids around, everyone's paying attention to the young kid, and mm-hmm. I got clipboards, and I'm breaking writing down tackles and then i'm writing down like personnel like who the who's starting where on offense defense and by the time i'm about 12 13 years old i'm i'm breaking down defenses and, hmm. and so so i think at a very early age just hanging hanging out and with these guys and just kind of like i didn't realize it at the time but like i reflect back to that a lot and in, in terms of building that passion for football and realizing that I, maybe that was something I wanted to do. Yeah. At that young of an age, you were up there. Oh yeah. Doing that. More so just kind of hanging with dad and he would give me, 
something to do. And like sure. as a young kid, like you could do starting lineups and mm-hmm. you just fill in the bubbles with the numbers. And but you talk it enough, and you hear it talked. And um, my, you know, and my dad was coaching. They would uh, every Sunday, all the coaches would meet at Molesky's house, and they bring the kids and. So there'd be all probably about six, seven guys that coached and all the kids and the wives would be there and there'd be barbecue for dinner and the co- coaches would go down in the basement and have their meeting and kids would be ripping around outside at the playgrounds and mm-hmm. wives would be hanging out up in the kitchen or, you know, and so that just great times and great memories and. But there was always times I'd be sneak down and sit and listen to what what they're doing and breaking down the football. Yeah, and you probably absorbed some of that without realizing it that you brought into your life later, eh? You hear enough talk of it, and next thing you know, start asking questions and not really knowing what the heck you're asking, but you're just asking questions to be part of the conversation. And next thing you know, you're learning. And if you observe enough, eventually you get start picking it up. And yeah. <laughs> and I was always kind of a coach kind of person anyway. Like, I, 15, as a 15-year-old, I was a coach of our senior league baseball team because we couldn't get anyone. And hmm. So I coached and told a couple of seniors from high school that I need to put you down. Like, you're 18, so I need to put you down as our coaches, but don't worry, I'll coach. Yeah. <laughs> you guys just show up for games when you can. Yeah. And so that's how it was. Like, I was always coaching and putting things together as – coaching like intramural basketball coaching flag football any any chance i had to coach i did it hmm. so it's just in your blood really yeah, eh? yeah i yeah. think so and i yeah i just enjoyed doing it enjoyed being part of it um just enjoy it like as a gym rat yeah play coach do whatever i could yeah pass on my love to the sport to someone else mm-hmm do you know today is there a is there a demand for good coaches? I mean, of course, there's always a demand, but I'm saying, is are they lacking? Like, is it something where people should be? I feel there's a lot of good coaches out there, but I feel like in it's tough, a lot tougher for the young coaches. To, like, you're not going to see 31 year old or 31 year veteran coaches anymore, sure. just because the demand's so high, the pressure's so high. Um, uh, social media takes takes a big chunk out of you hmm. in in certain place i don't never had a social media problem mm-hmm. but when social media came around we had an established program i bet you feel back to the early days of the 90s and people wondering who the heck crows and body are and calumet right. i'm sure that would have been a different story back then but right right you're saying just just negative stuff that yeah, can be out know, there <laughs> parents are more aggressive and sure and I think being an established 25-year veteran, it, parents are less likely to come at you. Well, that's crazy. He, right. he knows what he's doing. Whereas if you're a second-year coach, that parent's a little more likely to come and ask, why Why isn't he playing? Why is he playing? You know, right. and just get, get into those questions. And parents are way more aggressive now than previous. Sure, yeah. But I haven't had that personal experience. I just see that as reasons why other why guys aren't sticking around Mm -hmm. letting some of that extracurricular stuff wear wear them down right yeah yeah but i was curious if you had any 
I guess that's a whole different avenue. Uh, but any advice for new and young or aspiring coaches that wanted to get into it or currently into it? Um, yeah, just focus. I guess the big thing would be just to focus on yourself, focus on your team. Um, what goes on outside of that does not affect what goes on with with your team. Um, come up with come up with your philosophy, your goals, your you know, like I, I always had a team philosophy, offensive philosophy, defensive philosophy, and and all my decisions were based off of that. Okay. And uh, and I never ventured swayed from that. Yeah. And a couple times I found myself swaying from that is. I always came back and bit me in the butt. Yeah. And so I think it be true to yourself, be true to what you want to be and, and be committed to it. Mm-hmm. But you would say, I, I guess curious, you said it was super rewarding for you, but would you recommend somebody that's on the fence about doing it to oh, dive you, into it? You have to do it because you don't know. Yeah. Right. You, you know, and you can't be, can't be thin skinned either. Right. You, yeah. You can't care about what someone else says and you, you know, you have to believe in what you're doing and, and keep moving forward and, yeah. So try it out if that's something you're considering, but go into it knowing that you need to. You need to listen. You need to learn. I like, we didn't know what the heck we were doing and, and we just educated ourselves. I just went to football camps. I sat down with coaches and reached out to coaches. I read. I, went, I remember going to the tech library and going, holy cow, there's a whole section on just coaching football. And I hmm. just sit down and grab a book and go, is there anything in here that I like? Nope, put it back. And hmm. then, but I went through it probably every every book a couple of times, and magazines and subscriptions and on, then the <laughs> online sources. But but more importantly, just interacting with guys that have done it before and yeah, and just so you can hear their stories and know their experiences. Right. Yeah. Like I cornered Buck Nystrom so many times and so appreciative and uh, learned so much from him. Yeah. I want to close this out. Has it been rewarding to see, or I want to close it out this way. Has it been rewarding? Cause you've had players go on to higher levels. Uh, is that been neat to watch players oh, that have yeah, gone on to higher neat, levels? Neat to watch. Um, and, and a lot of them moving on to those higher levels is because of the talent level they had mm-hmm. and their desire and the, just their ability. Um, but also it was because of their love of football, which, you know, and, like you can only survive at that next level if you love football that much, and I think that's the one thing they get from coming from Calumet football is is everyone loves it, everyone yeah. loves the moment and lo- loves it and looks back on it because when we have home games and I can look across the field to that far sideline and see the whole crew of former players over there heckling the other side, heckling the other sidelines and mm-hmm. and cheering for us and getting on the refs and you know that that's rewarding as heck and. And to see like uh, Todd Storm in the NFL now coaching with the Redskins is is super rewarding. And, yeah. And uh, seeing you know like a guy like Jeremy Schroffnagel who didn't play much for us, but had so much pride of being in the Copper Kings, and now he's out in LA um, working working in the uh, front office for for LA now, and hmm. <laughs> and so I'm super proud to see stuff like that because I think a lot of it is is the the joy of the game of football and and i think that's what we promote yeah. quite a bit in calumet yeah absolutely crows appreciate it thanks for coming in uh, i love talking about it logan yeah. and and uh great uh, looking forward to this and appreciate everything 
Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.